KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Welcome back to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. Today I want to talk about obedience and madness. Well, sort of. Michael Almereda has a new film out about social psychologist Stanley Milgram, who conducted controversial experiments in the 1960s on obedience. Almereda also filmed an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Hamlet, in which the sanity of more than one character is questioned. And that leads me to the new adaptation of Hamlet, featuring Benedict Cumberbatch. In other words, it's my convoluted way of trying to join reviews for two different films into one podcast. But let's start with Stanley Milgram and The Experimenter. The film opens in 1961 as test subjects are being prepped to partake in an experiment. Now, psychologists have developed several theories on how humans learn. Uh, For example, it might help to reward a person. Sometimes it helps to punish him. Uh, We do know that punishment, oh, thank you very much, is a powerful incentive towards learning. For example, when a parent spanks a child, However, in fact, we actually know very little about the effect of punishment on learning because almost no scientific studies have been done of it on human beings. Now, one of you will play the role of a learner who will receive a mild punishment if he answers incorrectly to a series of questions, and that punishment will be administered by a teacher. Now, and what kind of punishment are we talking about? Well, first, let's determine which of you will be learner and which will be teacher. Now, I'll ask you to close your eyes and just estimate for me the amount of volts you think you're receiving. Okay, close. This part. This part's where the experiment really begins. Wait a minute. Did actor Peter Sarsgaard just turn to the camera and talk directly to the audience? As a matter of fact, he did. Sarsgaard plays Milgram, and during the course of the film, director Almereda has him address the audience directly. In one scene, Sarsgaard as Milgram walks down a hallway and tells us about who Milgram is. I was born in the Bronx, 1933. My father's from Hungary, my mother Romania, Jewish immigrants. It was a matter of chance that they arrived in the U.S. as children and managed to raise a family in New York instead of being swept up into the extermination camps and murdered by the Nazis like millions of others like them in Eastern Europe. And as he talks, there's an elephant that follows him down the hall. That's right, an elephant. That's really what's behind the obedience experiments. The inkling I was chasing. The thing that troubled me. And I'm assuming it's a metaphor to represent the old adage about the elephant in the room. That issue that everyone's acutely aware of, but nobody wants to talk about. How do civilized human beings participate in destructive, inhumane acts. How was genocide implemented so systematically, so efficiently? And how do the perpetrators of these murders live with themselves? Here it seems to revolve in part around the spark for his experiment, which grew out of his interest in Nazi Germany and trying to understand how people could obey orders so blindly. Milgram initially went into the experiment thinking most people would refuse to obey. Something's happening to that man in there. Can you please go check that everything's okay? Not once we've started. Please continue, teacher. So you accept all responsibility? The responsibility is mine, correct. Continue, please. But he was wrong. In nearly every case, the essential results are the same. 
They hesitate, sigh, tremble, and groan, but they advance to the last switch, 450 volts, danger, severe shock, XXX, because they're politely told to. The results are terrifying and depressing. They suggest that the kind of character produced in American society can't be counted on to insulate its citizens from brutality and inhumane treatment in response to a malevolent authority. But initially, his research was not readily embraced or widely published. He even got pushback from one of his former mentors. Why do you feel compelled to dwell on the negative aspects of obedience? Why must you focus on its destructive potential? Obedience isn't necessarily an instrument of evil. I think we can both agree, looking at recent history, the history that brought you to this country, a history in which we see abusive power assuming unprecedented murderous dimensions. Why does your experiment give me a dirty feeling? When he took on a job as an assistant professor, even his students challenged his methods and his use of deception as part of the experiment. Yes. How do you justify the deception? I like to think of it as illusion, not deception. Semantics, you may say, but illusion, you know, has a revelatory function, as in a play. Illusion can set the stage for revelation to reveal certain difficult-to-get-at truths. But still, when you go to see a play, you pay for a ticket. You know you're seeing a play. These people didn't know it wasn't real. You tricked them. Hello. Today we'll be doing an experiment about blind obedience to malevolent authority. I'd like for you to pretend that this machine is delivering painful shocks to a person in the other room. How truthful do you think that would be? But if you think of it, really, you were delivering shocks to your subjects. Psychological shocks and the anxiety no. methodically for one year. If your facts were as solid as your imagination, you'd realize that this is a false analogy. But some did recognize the significance of what he was doing. The Iron Guard. They lit people on fire through them of buildings. This is my charming way of saying your husband's work is very important and timely. Because the techniques change, the victims change, but it's still a question. How do these things happen? How are they institutionalized? The Algerian war, the tortures. Do you know about this in the States? Of course. You should do the obedience experiments in Europe, Stanley. France, Germany. Recreate them. Will it be different? Director Michael Almereda is as much an experimenter and illusionist as his subject. He delivers a clever film filled with deliberate artifice to demonstrate how relevant and challenging Milgram's work still is. At times, he employs an unconvincing rear screen projection as Milgram drives his car, or has a scene play out against an obvious photograph that stands in for a real location. It's a very theatrical or staged look, and the contrivance calls attention to itself in a way that makes us think about the themes of the film. There's a line repeated in the film, a quote from Kierkegaard, about how life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. The film takes its cue in part from that line, because although the story is told in a linear and chronological fashion, Milgram serves as our narrator, but with the knowledge of what already happens at the end. Almereda's approach is fascinating. It works effectively to provide insights into Milgram the man and into the techniques he used in his research, 
The sad thing is that we still see examples of unquestioning obedience in today's world. But Milgram did find hope in his study as well. 65% of volunteers were obedient. That left 35% who recognized a moral breach, took responsibility for their actions, and resisted. There is no permanent tissue damage. That's your opinion. If he doesn't want to continue, I'm taking orders from him. The experiment requires that you continue. You have no other choice. If this were Russia, maybe, but not in America. But obedience compliance was more common. You tell yourself, I wouldn't do that. I'd never do that. But then what did Montaigne say? We are double in ourselves. What we believe, we disbelieve. And we cannot rid ourselves of what we condemn. The Experimenter opens Friday at Landmark's Ken Cinema. And now let's talk about Hamlet. Almereda gave us an inspired but flawed film adaptation of Hamlet in 2000, starring Ethan Hawke. He updated the setting to the present day and did clever things like have Ophelia wear a wire when trying to get information for her father about whether Hamlet was mad or not. Almereda also had Hawke deliver the famous to be or not to be speech while standing in the action film aisle of a video store. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them, to die, to sleep, no more. And by asleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks the flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die. To sleep. A chance to dream. This month we get Benedict Cumberbatch, the new Sherlock, as the melancholy Dane in the National Theatre live production of Hamlet that will have single screenings at rather random theatre locations next week. Every generation serves up its own Hamlet, and Cumberbatch definitely has the acting chops to be a defining one. Here's a snippet of his performance, delivering the What a Piece of Work is Man speech in the trailer for the film. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculty. In form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world the paragon of animals, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Unfortunately, Lindsay Turner is not the director to deliver a definitive production. Here are the major flaws with her production. The setting has been updated to some vague period setting, but without any real vision for why the change has been made. In addition, she randomly casts a black actor as the brother for a white Ophelia, and the choice adds no insights into the role. Now, a black Horatio would have made more sense and would not have come across as mere racial stunt casting. Her interpretation of how to present Ophelia results in one of the most infuriatingly bad Ophelias I've ever seen on stage or film. I couldn't wait for her to kill herself. As played by Sian Brooke, Ophelia is mousy, fragile, and broken from the beginning and is nothing but a mass of nervous tics. I have to say that one of the best Ophelias I've ever seen is Helena Bonham Carter in Franco Zeffirelli's Hamlet, which starred Mel Gibson as a kind of action version of the Danish prince. Where is the beauteous majesty of Denmark? 
Where is the... How now, Ophelia? He is dead and gone, lady. He is dead and gone. At his head a grass green tuft. At his heels a stone. They say the owl was a baker's daughter. Lord, we know what we are, but not what we may be. Even in madness, Bonham Carter's Ophelia displayed a strength and intelligence. On the other hand, Brooke's version of the character is nothing but pathetic. But the production does boast Cumberbatch, and he's brilliant. He handles famous speeches like the to-be-or-not-to-be one with freshness, so we feel like the lines are new. He displays an energy and wit that Hamlet is often denied in favor of melancholia. Turner also gives us a strong and demanding ghost and a set design that plays up a sense of gothic horror. Despite its flaws, the National Theatre Live production of Hamlet is compelling to watch. And as it stands, it's the only way you can see Cumberbatch in the role. And that's something any fan of the Bard will want to take in. Thanks for listening to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Check back every week for new episodes featuring film reviews, interviews, and discussions. Every Friday in October, the topic will be horror. This week, I'll take you behind the scenes of Reanimator the Musical. And next week, I'll close out the month with an exploration of what people recall as the first films to scare them. You can also catch up with my podcasts about Clive Barker, Surgeon's Hall Museum, and The Duke. So till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.